Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 78, Calling Tips and Advice with Chris Parrish. And I am your host and the guy who has been caffeine-free now for about 18 years. Hey, we are 10 days, 4 hours, 2 minutes, and 23 seconds away from the end of turkey season in Alabama. And the weather's getting hot. It's getting tougher to stay out and hunt all day long now, but I've got to stay after it and keep going for 10 more days. All right, I want to thank Summers Creek Farm for leaving a review on iTunes. And Summers Creek Farm says, five stars, awesome, great stuff, keep them coming. Summers Creek Farm, thank you for taking time to leave a review on iTunes. It is greatly appreciated. And if you guys would like to leave a review there yourself, there's a really good chance it'll get read on the show, and you'll get a big thank you afterwards as well. So I've got a fantastic show and guest for you today, and I am pretty stoked about it. Since about 90% of the country is in the throes of battle with wily, long-bearded toms, I wanted to get someone on today's show who can can give us a little advice on some ways we can improve our hunts by saying the right things when we're talking to a turkey or when we're trying to find one who wants to talk to us. So today I have Chris Parrish on the show with us again. Now Chris joined me almost a year ago on the show for episode 31, Turkey Calling 101, and he shared with us what calls mean and what they sound like in that episode. Now in this episode we get into a little bit more detail about calling. And Chris and I got to talk in Turkey and and, well, I lost track of time, so the interview is pretty long, but I want to go ahead now and get into the interview for you. I know you're going to gain some useful knowledge from this interview, so listen in, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am excited to tell you that I've got on the line with me today Chris Parrish. And those of you who are regular listeners to the show know that I've had Chris on several times. He is a friend of the show, and I'm very appreciative of any amount of time I can get from Chris, especially when it gets to be close to or in turkey season. And I've got Chris with us because we're going to talk a little bit more about some calling tips and advice. And those of you who know Chris know that he has won 10 world championships and 11 grand national championships in turkey calling. Chris has got a little bit of mad skill with the turkey call. And so because of his expertise and the quality of his calling, I felt like Chris was a great person to get on the show today to go over some of this. So we're going to jump on into this. Chris, how are you and where are you today? Well, I'm doing fantastic today. I've come back from a uh, successful turkey hunt, so I'm actually at my house. You know, every now and again, we got to get some work done. That's just part of the game that we play. So uh, that's what I'm doing right now is, is doing a little work, but... Uh, you know, every now and again, you got to jump out of that office and go sneak off and chase one. We had a great hunt yesterday, probably the best opening day in Kansas I've ever had. Man, that's awesome. Well, I want to ask you about that hunt when we get down to the end of the interview, so that'll be fun to hear exactly what you did there and what worked for you and what didn't work for you. And, you know, most of the country is in uh, the early season right now. For those of us in the south, we're really kind of mid to late season, mm-hmm. but... 
you know, going up to Kentucky, Missouri, and area parts north of that. You guys are early season, and so that'll be good to get some early season tactics that are working. So Absolutely. I'll pick your brain on some of that. Well, the other thing I want to pick your brain on is this. I have started doing a rapid-fire Q&A to where I will go through and ask you 30 questions, just general questions about turkeys, turkey hunting, your preferences about some things, and just to make it a little bit more exciting, I'm going to put a stopwatch to you to see how quickly you can do it. And if you're game to play along, we will see if you can beat the fastest score that anyone has doing the rapid-fire Q&A. And that record is Wayne Fears, and he did it 2 minutes and 13.43 seconds. Okay. Wayne absolutely blew through the fastest time who before that, before Wayne was Rob Keck at 233. Well, so, I like a good challenge, so <clears throat> we'll, we'll go, go for it, but, you know, no promises. I'm a little slow sometimes on my answers. Well, I'm slow all the time, so we're... <laughs> You're you're two steps ahead of me. You're gonna have to. You gotta talk fast, then, brother. You gotta spit those questions out fast. (laughs) I will talk fast. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm reciting these questions. My wife's shaking me, going, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" I've been practicing these questions so I can get faster at it. That's funny. All right. So what I'll do is, as soon as I start the first question, I will start the clock and we'll rock and roll through these and see if we can have some fun with it. Okay. All right. How many full-body turkey mounts do you own? Four. How many turkeys did you kill last year? Eight. Diaphragm, box, pot and peg, or wing bone? Diaphragm. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Grilled. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, with cola, or with water? Rocks. Number of grand slams? Two. Make of your shotgun? Browning. Make of your favorite shotgun turkey shell? Winchester. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? No. Have you ever killed a jake? Yes. A 10-minute successful hunt on a 2-year-old or a 4-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a 4-year-old? 2-year-old. Your favorite camo pattern? Mossy oak. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? Dog. More or less than 5 strikers in your turkey vest? Less. 30-mile-per-hour winds blowing at home the last day of turkey season. Are you hunting or sleeping in? Hunting. The state you killed your first turkey in? Missouri. The state you killed your last turkey in? Kansas. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Blind. Rios or Osceolas? Rios. Rios or Easterns? Easterns. Easterns or Marions? Easterns. Public land out west or private land in the southeast? Public land. Two and three quarter inch, three inch or three and a half inch shells? Three inch. Four, five, six or blended shot? Five. Fields turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods. Pump or automatic? Automatic. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight, or beads? Bead. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Snake boots. You wish to bird this afternoon and it's pouring rain at daylight. Do you hunt in the morning? Yes. Favorite place you've ever hunted? Missouri. Woo! Two minutes, 8.96 seconds. You beat Wayne by four and a half seconds. <laughs> you blew through those, man. That was good. <laughs> That you thought you'd give me the answers to that thing. I was like, this. I thought this was going to be difficult. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, like I told you when we before I started the recording on this, you know, this is just something for people to kind of get to know you. Questions that they would ask you if they were one-on-one with you, just sitting around having a cold beer or something like that. So, sure, sure. You know, I, uh, yeah, it's it's not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah, it was but, fun. Really was fun. You know, and, and, and I think, you know, some of my answers deplict. I enjoy a successful hunt. Don't get me wrong. You know, oh, you're yeah. going to hunt and have hunts that's just not going to work out sometimes, and that's just the name of the game. That's the game that we play. But overall, you know, to me, if that turkey's got a swinging beard, he's game. And I, I just think a lot of times we wind up as hunters putting an emphasis so much on, you know, trying to kill a three or four year old turkey and, and the whole thing about turkey hunting the gobble the strut and everything he has i mean don't get me wrong i walk up to a turkey and he's got inch and a half spurs you know obviously that's a there's an elation there but he's not a white-tailed deer you don't know what he has until you walk up to him so if he's got a full fan 
and a swinging beard, and he acted like he was supposed to for sure. And even if he didn't and you still got the crunch on him, that's all, that's what it's about, you know. That's right. Well, and that's why I asked that question about the Jake is because it's got such a negative stigma attached to it. And, you know, you go online, and there's a lot of trolls online, obviously, but you go online to some of these forums and stuff, and there are hunters just giving other hunters just sheer grief over shooting a Jake. And I will tell you, out of everyone that I have done this rapid-fire Q&A with, and I get to that question, every one of the people that I've asked that question to answers it yes. Yeah. And I haven't shot just, one in a lot of years, Andy. I haven't. It's yeah. been a long, 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 long time. But the last one that I shot was a Jake that gobbled as good as any adult bird I ever saw. He had one feather high on one side, just a little bit out of his five, and he was a super Jake. And I didn't look yeah. at him real close as he was coming in. Uh, he had about a six and a half inch beard, and I just, you know, it was the last day of the season. He was doing his thing. He wasn't strutting. He just come in gobbling, and when he got in the opening where I could shoot him, it was pretty thick, you know, as our last part of our season can get. I shot the turkey and walked up there and went, hmm, I'll be darned, but I would have never known if I wouldn't have shot him, you know, and I would yeah. say he was an early hatch bird, you know, but again, I haven't purposely shot a Jake in, a, in probably 20 years, but I have no problem with somebody spends their hard-earned money buying a tag and purchasing product in the industry that I work in, so be it whatever he chooses to sh- he or she or, or, or they choose to shoot. It's their privilege to hunt. And, you know, the only thing I say is we've got a turkey population that's a little bit low. You know, maybe our gobbler population's down. We haven't had a good hatch in a year or two. That's when you need to lay off and watch what's going on. You know, it's not it's not like white-tailed deer. And there again, we've gotten the same situation with white-tails. You know, a guy, if a guy doesn't kill a 150-inch deer, you know he's not killed anything. Well, I remember the day when I struggled to shoot the first Pope and Young deer, and now Pope and Young don't even make a person open their eyes. And, and so I think the, the trophy's definitely the eye, in the eyes of the beholder and the hunt is what it is enjoy it for what god made it to be that's right the the hunt makes the trophy it's not the trophy that makes the hunt it's the hunt that makes the trophy and so i agree with you you get a some of those super jakes out there they're big and bad in their mind yeah and they do everything that their older brother and dad does and are proud of it. Yep, that's you know, exactly I, right. I know a guy that was hunting, one of the guys in our hunting camp was hunting, and he had a Jake charge his strutter decoy that he had out. And he was coming through some tall broom sage grass, and you know he couldn't see that the turkey had about a five-inch beard on him. And so he just rolled him and went up there and was like, dang. You know, I, I wouldn't have shot him if I'd known, but, I, I mean, a Jake charging your strutter, <laughs> charging your strutter decoy, he's going to drop. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of times you get a good a good Jake crop, and they'll run your they'll run your gobblers around. You know, Absolutely. they'll push your gobblers off the of pieces of property and keep them from coming to a call. And oftentimes you'll find when you're using a Jake decoy in a situation like that, when you've had a really good uh, hatch and you've got a bunch of Jakes, it's not necessarily the thing to do. You know, pull back and just put your, your hens out there. Yeah. A lot of times those, those gobblers will see that Jake and go, well, there's one of them. Where's the other five of them that i got to contend with every day? Very and, true. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, Using your head as you hunt is always a brilliant thing. Keeps you safe and keeps you more successful. Yeah, good advice there. Well, like I said earlier in the interview, a large part of the country has already started their spring turkey hunting season. You guys in Missouri are starting Monday, is that right? Yes, yes, we open Monday. Okay, so you open Monday. So pretty much everybody's either open or getting really close to opening. And we're dealing with early season turkeys. And I'm just wondering if there are any calling tips or advice that you can give us for dealing with these hind up early season gobblers. And, you know, what do we need to be thinking of when we're hunting and there's a flock of turkeys out there? What what would our strategy be to try to get something to happen? Well, you know, and, and that, that goes to depending on exactly where you're at in that early season. You know, every 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 state in the country and every little region in the state might not fall underneath that typical early season. You know, I know I just got back from Kansas, and uh, those turkeys are still flocked up. Now, they're gobbling good and strutting, but you're dealing with four, five, six long beards and 15, 20 hens and several jakes. They're kind of in that we haven't broke up and decided everything that we're going to do mode. And so you're hunting that flock of turkeys, and that's where your scouting tactics come into a great big play. That's where your setup comes into a play. 
you know, it's a great time to use a camera when you got a situation like that where you know this flock of turkeys kind of frequenting that area. Set your camera up and kind of get an idea where they're going, where, which direction they're heading when they fly down. They'll typically make that, what I call that big milk run, you know, and then they'll wind up right. kind of back in there if they're not disturbed. And, and I use that as my motive to where I want to set up. And I'll set up really, really tight on early season turkeys that are better flocked up like that. Because you're not going to typically pull one gobbler off of that. They're all going to go together. And if you're not where they want to be, you're just not going to make that happen. I also find it that a lot of times when you're dealing with a bunch of hinned up, flocked up turkeys in the early season, they don't necessarily care for the decoys you know having a strutter out and some hens right. it's not that they that the decoys bother them they just don't care whether they're there or not because you know heck they're looking at each other all the time they still haven't got that pecking order established with each other so what's another turkey to them and so my setup is my key tactic right there and just a little brief scenario of the hunt that took place yesterday I had a call in my mouth. I never made a call. I never opened my mouth one time. I was just set up perfectly. They all flew down in front of me, and when I killed my gobbler, I was looking at nine other gobblers in the field, simply because it was a situation where we had scouted, used Moultrie cameras, just, you know, did our our due diligence and put ourselves in the right position and, you know, made it happen. Sometimes that's going to work out. Other times you're going to find that now they've just broke up. In, In Missouri, we've just started getting that breakup phase, and we're getting that uh, that dominant established where you've got one or two gobblers with 15 or 20 hens. Mm-hmm. And you can a lot of times find that subdominant bird that wants to come to a call and wants to act really good, but then you're going to also be dealing with those turkeys that are hinned up. I use the same tactics on that one or two old birds that are hinned up bad is to slip in there and get really tight on them on the roost. This is where when I'm dealing with them in an open field that I do go ahead and break out a strutting gobbler decoy or fan or something to give them that that feeling that another gobbler has encroached on their so-called property and uh, you know try to pull that dominance factor out of them and see it seems to work pretty good during that situation but I don't yeah. think anything takes a place on early season turkeys when you when you're talking about hinned up or flocked up turkeys then you're scouting and then putting yourself in a position really tight on those birds where it's just hard for them to get out of the way from you without you know you getting a crack at one of them and I think that's another thing people don't do is they're afraid to set up tight and if the terrain oh, yeah. allows me man I'm you know it's not uncommon for me to be setting 60 70 yards from a turkey and no it's not the most perfect scenario when you're videoing because it doesn't give you a lot of time you can't do a lot of movement but it's very successful when it comes to putting turkey breast on the grill it, it is definitely that that was one of the biggest well that was one of the biggest turning points and one of the best pieces of advice that i'd gotten from anyone when i was cutting my teeth on turkey hunting and that was get closer get closer get closer and when you feel like you can't get any closer get a little bit closer Mm -hmm. and that really for me made the difference in me killing one or two turkeys a season and me killing five to eight a season yep so that is fantastic advice and that's advice that i always give new hunters when they're asking me what what they can do to kill more birds now missouri still does not allow afternoon hunting the hunting day ends at one o'clock is that still correct yes sir that is correct okay so you mentioned scouting and knowing where these turkeys are roosting and that kind of thing for those of us who can hunt after one o'clock or afternoon as in some states don't allow that but for those of us that can and even for those of you who are hunting in states that cut it off at noon or at one o'clock that afternoon time in the woods is that i mean are you doing a good bit of that as part of your scouting to know where these turkeys are roosting and where they're coming from at that point in time absolutely i use the evenings you know way to my advantage sliding in there you know using binoculars and watching them come out of those fields and you know, a lot of times I'll go back in there where they are where they are roosting or where they may have been roosting the day, you know, that morning and, and see if I can, you know, actually see where one of them actually puts his feet up on the branch at night. And this just gives me the opportunity to slip back in there and set up that much closer and, and really get inside that wheelhouse, you know, when, when maybe under the cover of darkness instead of, you know, okay, I got there a little late the day before. I couldn't move in as tight as I wanted to. They kind of slipped by me and, and you know, it happened. But mm-hmm. I use that way to my advantage. And, you know, of course, you know, our mushrooms are going to start popping here in a few days, and uh, I use that as an opportunity to hunt mushrooms and scout at the same time, maybe even wet a line, catch a crop or two. But 
afternoon hunting, I wish they allowed it in Missouri. Uh, a lot of the states that I hunt, they do. Because what happens a lot of times is these turkeys will stay hinned up, partially throughout the day. But every now and again, as those hens start to move off, and in the early season, you know, it, it, the, the breeding just becomes more and more rapid as, as time goes on. And that's yeah. all because of, obviously, the daylight hours. And we got warmer temperatures, and those hens by nature know that, okay, if I start having these, you know, laying these eggs down and get on there and get on set on them, and, and they're going to incubate and not going to lose them. And, you know, it's just Mother Nature's way of taking care of things. And so as you deal with early season, a lot of times those hens won't start going off and laying an egg until later. It may be, you know, fairly late in the day when they sneak off and they're not mm-hmm. spending much time and all of a sudden that turkey finds himself alone or you get a subdominant bird that's been pushed off of a flock as that dominance factor is starting to and you get it you know you get a two-year-old pushed off of a, a three or four-year-old turkey and he's wandering around out there at three o'clock in the afternoon looking looking for a lovesick day it's a great way to, to take a turkey a tactic that i use a lot of times is when you deal with these flocked up turkeys for example in early season you might have four or five or six gobblers with a bunch of hens and jake in the evening just as you would if you were hunting fall turkeys, I'll go in there and try to split that flock up a little bit before they fly mm-hmm. up to roost. And you might get one or two gobblers split off from them. You know, obviously the size of the, the property that you have a, have to hunt has a lot to do with it because you don't want to run your turkeys off of it. But if you right. can split them up and they go to roost by themselves, the next day is a whole different story. Yeah, You're dealing with turkeys that are looking for turkeys and they are be willing, a lot more willing to come to your call and come to your position without you having to be in the middle of their junk and it makes a, it makes for a really good tactic a lot of people are afraid to do it don't be afraid to do it. it it works it's a very good tactic and it sometimes is needed because if you anyone's ever hunted reels or hunted merriams you tend to deal with turkeys that stay flocked up a lot and right. that's one tactic that i've used a bunch is to just break that flock up out there and then I hunt those turkeys when you can actually do something with them because as i mentioned earlier when you're hunting flocked up turkeys if two of them go that direction it seems like all of them go that direction oh yeah very true and you're busting that flock up in the late afternoon if you can or in the evening before they fly up just so that they can, you can give them a little time to settle down is that oh yeah strategy there yeah okay. yeah you know i i don't want to give them if i can do it and not give them time to regroup that's that's the whole idea and typically you're dealing with adult birds i mean you know your young jakes and jenny hens might do a little something but you're dealing with adult gobblers and hens and they're not going to regroup immediately you know they're not the same as a young bird like we simply think of a fall turkey but but you know i like to do it late enough that i kind of have a pretty good idea where i'm going to start too you know if i bust them up at two o'clock in the afternoon well that turkey can wander a long way from where i saw him you know the oh, last yeah. time before before dark but if i bust him up at if i bust him up at six thirty seven o'clock and it gets dark at eight thirty, there's a chance he's going to be within a few hundred yards of that same spot that is i last saw him at yeah okay now, when you are dealing with those flocked up birds in an early season, is it your strategy to focus more on trying to get the boss hen fired up and come into you to well, fight and bring the rest of the flock, or are you what are you doing there? I kind of, I kind of just let them tell me how I need to call to them. You know, just as I did in Kansas on on my hunt early morning, I was so tight on them. I knew the direction they were going to head. There was no reason for me to even call, and I never made a peep yeah. and, and killed a gobbler. That afternoon, however, with my friend, he we got on three gobblers that that had I don't know seven or eight hens with them, and we got in there real tight. They went around the corner; it was thick enough we could slide in there. We got in there within about 70 yards, and I called real soft to a hen, and when she answered me, she answered me back with a dominant sound. You know, she come back a little harder and a little stronger than I than I started with, and so I picked it up a notch. And when she came back even stronger, we just got into a little tug of war, and it wasn't just a few minutes, and all the hens came in and. The gobblers followed, and he was able to take one of them. So, you know, just listen to how they answer you. And, you know, that's kind of that reading that body language and reading, you know, the volume and the and the, uh, uh, the intensity of the call and and being able to act upon it. Yeah. How does your calling strategy change as the move as the season moves on and we get into mid season and those hens are starting to slip away from the gobblers, say mid morning or midday? You know, I do a little more running and gunning. I'm not a super big run and gun guy. And some of my tactics when I say run and gun is I'm not constantly going two hundred yards and calling and just making great big loops. I might go two or three hundred yards and sit down for an hour. Yeah. Right. And I might do that again for an hour and just really be cognizant of how I'm slipping and easing and using 
changing the terrain and not, you know, now you're getting into midseason, it's a little thicker, you can get by with a little more movement, you know, they're not going to bust you as bad in, in, in these open woods as they would in early season, and I'll use that tactic to kind of put myself in a better position and, and be active. I hate to deer hunt turkeys, but sometimes it's a very successful method. However, you're going to be dealing with turkeys that's had pressure on them, especially if you're hunting public lands. And this is where, you know, sometimes even that patient tactic will come into play, meaning that he, you know he's going to be with that hen for a few hours of the morning, and she's going to slip away. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've called to him, he's got a pretty good idea of where you were when he called. And a lot of times he'll come back in there looking, may not even gobble. He may come back in there and just do nothing but strut and spit and drum looking for you. But oftentimes when she leaves and he finds himself alone, you know, you'll be sitting out there and you'll hear that periodic gobble yeah. and that's a lot of times a telltale sign and so i'll get up and i'll i'll move toward it plus as i've hunted if i've done my due diligence i've paid attention to kind of where i've seen these turkeys spend a little bit of their mid mornings let's say and I'll start going and checking those areas, knowing that they've been out there, they've been breeding, hens probably slipped away. There's a good chance that turkey is going to go from point A to point B now, looking and searching a little bit, and I'll try to put myself in that position between where I think he was and where I think he's probably going to be, you know, heading towards and using the terrain. You know, turkeys use the terrain to their advantage, too. And they know where a lot of these hens go to nest. They know where a lot of these hens, even if that's not a part of their group, spend some of their time, and so they'll go check those areas i mean they're they're very in tune with what's going on out there not much different than a white-tailed deer you know if we'll imply tactics of deer hunting to turkey hunting and vice versa you find yourself being way more successful utilizing kind of a combination of the two when you find them in situations that are very similar to one another during that that mating cycle yeah one of the things i've been harping on over the past few weeks with it being early season for most of the country is just what you talked about you know get into an area where the turkeys are hanging out and just slow down absolutely yeah stop and explore some you know you you don't have to constantly be on the move because just what you said the woods are open and you end up busting more birds than you do calling and killing more birds i call it my mushroom hunting tactic yeah there you you go i'm I'm slipping around i'm looking for mushrooms here and there and every now and again calling and i can't tell you how many times i've done that you know and i might have moved 100 yards that's that's that old moving hen trick old gobbler Mm -hmm. sitting over there and you know he's not sure what he wants to do and you've you've moved 200 yards looking for mushrooms and messing around and you're clucking and purring and soft calling all of a sudden you stand up he gobbles right over the hump and you know it's a mad dash and in two seconds it's a flash hunt it's over yeah and um it's, it's just really good if you want to be consistently successful put yourself in position to be consistently successful and that is you have to be in the woods and you have to be using your head if turkeys are really vocal and they're gobbling all around you why heck take off and get after them. you're not going to hurt anything but mm-hmm. if it's quiet and silent and things aren't happening man use that hair cover computer and do the same thing and just kind of act like that hen that's roaming around out there and just play it coy and play it soft and play it easy and you'd be surprised how many turkeys you call in just just doing that that you know don't say much but they don't have to say much it's just it's yeah. a really good ploy to be successful on a consistent basis no matter what situation you're faced with now, let's face it you know a lot of times we don't have time to people just don't have a lot of time to hunt and so they feel that pressure and when you feel that pressure to be successful most of the time you won't be because you'll make a bad right. move. But yeah. if you'll just relax with it and calm down and go, okay, I got five days to hunt this whole year. I'm going to make it the best five days and know that I did everything right. And I promise you, one or two out of those five days, you'll be successful. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned running and gunning, and then you mentioned, you know, hunting some mushrooms and doing a little soft calling. What is your general calling strategy when you are moving around and you're trying to get a response from a turkey? Are you you're not typically just going from one spot and yap, 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 and walking 200 yards and yap, 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 and walking 200 yards. What is your calling like at that point in time? Are you starting soft and working up, or are you what what's going through your mind and and how are you working those calls when you are moving and calling i'm thinking about a hen that is looking to be with another turkey via be a, a another hen or a gobbler or anything she's just out looking to try to find a company mm-hmm. and when you think about that 
she's never stops calling. A lot of it's so quiet, it's hard to hear if you're not really, really close, you know, clucking and purring and stuff. I'm going to ease through there. I'll be looking. A lot of times I'll take my feet, you know, I'll stop for four or five minutes and lean against a tree and I'll scratch around and leave my feet and, and cluck and purr and, and soft yelp. And then when just before I get ready to move, I might, you know, hit a couple of loud clucks or a couple of little sharp cuts and, and pick up the tempo in a three note yelp or something like I'm asking a question. Okay, where, you know, where are you? Why, why won't right. you answer me? A lot of times that'll draw that gobble. A lot of times I'll ease around, and if I think that, you know, man, I'm getting close to an area where I know gobblers have spent a lot of time strutting in the past, I'll take out a crow call, and I'll hit a crow call before I even try to do a turkey call at that point. So in case something is really, really close, I've got time to get myself in position and check the situation out and make a, a quality setup instead of, you know, in haste sitting down and going, oh, crud, I can't shoot if he comes in here anyway. And then I'll call to the turkey that's answered. But I try to put myself in a position when it comes to making calls of a turkey like a turkey that's out looking and searching hens don't walk through the wind the woods cutting and yelping at the top of their voice at Mm -hmm. no time do they do that now there's certain times of the year they're more vocal but that's not a constant and so by thinking about that and remembering that and 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 using that to your advantage i think you become way more successful overall and i know you kill a lot more old long spurred turkeys doing that because they know how the game's played now again when you're pressed for time you got to couple of days to hunt as we all do times when we travel and hunt i may get to a little faster tactic where i go every couple hundred yards and i'm i'm trying louder calling such as something on a box call or a glass call or something to strike a turkey and and strike that one turkey that is willing to give his life up because you know he's a hot turkey and and you bypass a lot of turkeys when you do that we all know that there's a lot of turkeys that you call to that will come running up there you don't even know that they busted you that never made a sound but, you know, you try to find that one at that point that is as willing to do what you want him to do. So you can work it both ways. I just always like to have a little bit of time and be able to work it slow. I just find myself being more successful more consistently if I do that and use that real, real live sounds and scenarios, if you will, to, to the calling tactic. So the million-dollar question, do you have a turkey call close by that you can run through and just give us an example of that three-note yelp you were talking about? And Yeah, I do. Little- actually, I have, a, I have a friction call that I can run okay. for you. My mouth calls yeah. are actually out of my vest. I, I haven't even gotten a, anything out to do anything with because I left them in my vest from my yesterday's hunt. But uh, I've got a little long spur slate here, and I don't know. Tell me if you can hear this. You hear that? Oh, yeah. Too? Okay. Well, oh, yeah. what I'll do is, you know, I'll start off, and I'll just be walking along, and I'll... I'm just doing soft stuff. Mm-hmm. And so no answer, no answer. I'll give a little spot, stand there in one spot for two or three minutes. Because, you know, oftentimes, turkey's got to make up his mind. You know, he's not much different than a person. Five seconds, he can be a totally different turkey than he was five seconds prior to it. But before I leave, I'll just give a little quick, you know, a couple sharp cuts, just kind of a... You hear how I end that. It's it's kind of loud to start with, and I, and I taper it off. And that's kind of that, that questioning yelp. It's kind of like, I'm here. I've been calling. I'm searching. I'm looking. I want an answer. Where are yeah. you? And oftentimes, just by, by cueing that call like that, you'll get a turkey to, and I, I fully believe he's shot gobbling at it, you know, as much as he will shot gobble at a crow call. But it, it makes him give up his location and makes him. And a lot of times, you'll have a hen answer you doing that. That's with a gobbler that's doing nothing but strutting. And so you sit down and you work that hen, and she comes in, and of course, lo and behold, right behind hers, big dummy, all blowed up like a beach ball. Yeah, yeah. And I'm fine with that too. However, it works. <laughs> it makes a difference. <laughs> if it results in a tag on a bird, then everybody's happy except for the bird. Yep. And every now and again, I'll throw up an air ball, and hey, that's called hunting, man. <laughs> oh man, shoot. I- I'm on a string of air balls here lately, but that's a different story for a different show. The only dangerous one is lead flying or the or whatever whatever shot you're using. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you gave us an example with a question mark on the end of that yelp. Give me an example with an exclamation point on the end of that yelp, so people can kind of get that idea okay. of what the difference is. Well, and and that would be you know a lot of times that's kind of like when you're doing that assembly yelping, but a lot of times it's also some lost calling or. Or maybe you're having an argument with another hen, and that's that's mm-hmm. kind of what I would do. Or I'm I'm coming in there with that yelp. Just 
I'm I'm yeah. I'm pronouncing the end of that with a loud non-tapering note. And a matter of fact, I'm here, and if you come up here, I'm fixing to kick you in the in the beak. Yeah. And so when you're running that fiction call, the difference there is you're letting off on the end of that last stroke on the on the yelp with a question mark on it. You're letting some pressure off just Absolutely. to that yep. yelp out. Yeah, I okay. am, and I, you know, and I, and I, which incidentally makes the call slightly softer in tone. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty obvious after you run it like you did for people to see the difference in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've talked about it numerous times on this show with other guests, and the turkeys are really no different than you and I in in their communication. And oh, yeah, you're exactly right. They're talking to one another. Now, what they're yeah. exactly saying to one another, anybody that tells me they know that after my 40 years of experience, I'd like to have a real good conversation because I've yet to get one cornered long enough to give me an explanation of why they do what they do a lot of times. But, you know, I think the wise thing is just listening and paying attention in certain scenarios you have with turkeys and, and how they're calling, and then applying that to a situation that may be similar in stature when you're hunting. Yeah. That, to me, always made a lot of sense, and it always seemed to be a successful tactic. And I, I used to, I use it all the time. I, I use it when I'm deer hunting. I use, you know, you, we talk about moon phases. We talk about everything with, with deer, and, and a lot of that same situation applies to turkeys when it comes to calling and, and deer with a certain way of springs unfolding. I don't know if I'm speaking right or not. You're being in Alabama. I'm here in Missouri. I was down in Alabama uh, several weeks ago on a writer's hunt, and it seemed like that spring deemed like was going to hit really, really fast, and it was everything was just starting to kind of not necessarily explode, but it, it was coming on strong. I thought, boy, it's mm-hmm. going to be it's going to be a really early spring. And I thought the same thing here in Missouri, simply because. We started getting some ground cover, grass was greening up, things were starting to really explode fast. And all of a sudden we got all these cold fronts and some of some of us got some killing frost and it just kind of put the damper on things and slowed everything down. And, yeah. you know, I don't know what that means scientifically or bio, biologically to the turkeys. But I know that if they have anything on the nest, they have any any eggs in the nest and they're not sitting on it, and it gets down there in that 30-degree temperature stuff and below, they stand to lose those eggs in real short order. So mm-hmm. with that happening, what you'll see a lot of times is you'll see what we call during the, in the deer hunting world the trickle rut. You'll see that trickle breeding cycle through these turkeys. You'll have a lot of peaks and valleys, and you'll think, man, it's been three weeks. These turkeys ought to be going and sitting on the nest. Well, they probably would be but they lost those eggs because they weren't ready to set on the nest because they didn't have a complete clutch. And so that's kind of why that happens. And, you know, like, again, I'm not a biologist, although I've studied a lot of it and I have some friends that are biologists. Things like that happen. And so a lot of times the same tactic that applies during your early season can apply during the whole season depending on how fast that mating cycle is happening. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's just paying attention. You ever notice springs that you never, turkey, you like, man, they just never really split up good. Yeah. You know, well, there's reason behind that. So you employ you employ the same tactics for calling and killing that turkey pretty much the whole season. Other seasons, shoot, the hens are sitting by the time the season comes in and the gobblers are about to go out of their ever loving mind. But then yeah. by the time the end of the season comes, they're starting to regroup and they're gobbling each other up instead of really being responsive to to a hen call. And so, you know, paying attention to what's going on and then it'll tell you exactly what you need to do with those turkeys. Yeah. Well, and I think this question kind of ties in with that. I have heard since probably day one of my turkey hunting, just take a, take that gobbler's temperature. When he gobbles and you call to him, you just you just take his temperature and see what, let him tell you what to do mm-hmm. as far as all your calling goes and know when to, let that tell you when to call, when not to call, when to call more quiet or loud or whatever it is. What, what exactly does taking a gobbler's temperature mean to you and how do you judge, you personally judge, if a bird has a fever or has a cold? Well... <laughs> To me, you know, taking one's temperature is just exactly what you said, seeing whether he's a responsive bird or a non-responsive bird. And and I call it reading the gobble, if he's going to gobble. And reading the gobble is, you know, that turkey, when you call, certainly in the middle of your calling or prior to you finishing the calling, he gives you an immediate response, and that response has some vigor to it. 
and, and let's look at that in a situation where you're trying to stop your three-year-old from running out in front of cars. You've got some, you've got some haste and, re, and some vigor in, in you saying stop. Mm-hmm. And so that gobbler, when you call to him, you know, you're, ow, he just fires right back at you immediately. And then you got the time when, you know, your child's doing something wrong, but it's not that big a deal. And you go, hey, man, stop that. Well, he answers you after about a second or two pause after you've gotten done calling. And that's just telling you, I'm here. I may have a hen with me. I may be on a strut zone. I'm not overly interested. doesn't mean you can't call that turkey up and kill him. It just means that he's probably not totally fired up and ready to die. You know, he, he's going to have to be brought to a fever pitch, or you're going to have to get in there close if he's got hens and try to make something work. And I don't walk away from a turkey that's what I call cold simply because I think he's a little cold. Unless something over here is really hot, gobbling every breath, then I might, you know, do something there. I just might assess the situation, try to get a little bit closer, and try to see if, one, I can get a call that just for some reason he likes better than others, or I can get a hen to talk to me and let me know, okay, I'm dealing with the hen. Or maybe I could even just slip in there and get close enough where I can get a visual and see what's going on and just go, hey, okay, now I know how to treat this situation. And mm-hmm. um, so that's that's kind of how I do that and how I, I look at how a turkey's responding to me. And it's the same way with a hen. You know, I hear everybody saying, you only call to the hen and get the hen fired up. A lot of times that hen will call back to you a couple little times and she'll just walk off with the gobbler. She don't want nothing to do with you. You can tell whether she want to come to you or not come to you. If she, every time you hit the call, she comes back a little more aggressive or she's calling and almost cutting you off with her calling, she's going to come up there and take a look at you most of the time. Mm -hmm. And if she just kind of calls back with kind of a half-hearted response and it's delayed, she's just letting you know she's there and there's a good chance she's going to walk off with the gobbler or she's just going to walk away from you and and she don't want nothing to do with you. Right. And and so learning how to read both the, the gobbler and the hen in those situations is is it's critical for your calling tactic. Yeah. Do you try to get those cold birds fired up just depending on what you think the circumstances are? I mean, obviously if there's if if a gobbler's with a bunch of hens, you're probably not going to call a whole lot because you're more likely to run those hens off than sure. than you are to call them in unless you do get that challenge going on with the boss hen, but Let's say it's late season and a bird may, maybe he's got a hen with her or with him and, or maybe he doesn't, but are you going to try to fire up that cold bird and get him hot or are you just going to work yeah. it and see no, how I'm, things I'm going to certainly probably throw some stuff at him to see if I can get him, you know, because we've all done that. If you've turkey hunted much, you've, you know, you've, you've cut, you, you get a bird to gobble and you call back to him, he doesn't gobble and then you hit, you hit some cuts, a little louder call and he gobbles. And, you know, a lot of times what I'll do is I will move in on that turkey a little bit and I'll call to him loud and aggressive and I'll get him to gobble a little bit and get him kind of you know gobbling fairly good and then I'll move on just a little bit closer if, if I can get that little bit closer you know maybe 20 30 40 yards and I'll sit down and shut up and not say a word for 10 minutes and let him think yeah. about it and you can tell right away if, if he's if, if he's probably changed his mood because he'll gobble a couple of times by himself wanting to know where you're at a lot mm-hmm. of times he'll shut up and the next time he gobbles you're putting there looking at him because he yeah. just made his mind up. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to employ it, but that's kind of the way that I go about it. I just, I try to use, you know, use my head and, and I will try to, to make that bird respond to me and get a little bit more responsive. You know, they're like people. They have that clock that kind of goes in and out all day long. You know, daylight in the morning, depending on the conditions, gobble the brains out, fly down. Now he's strutting with hens, don't want much to do with anybody. He's looking at what he wants. He goes two hours to the day and, and all of a sudden he's by himself and he's ready to do his thing again. And then, you know, hour and a half after that, he's walking around pecking, wanting him hardly pick his head up to look at you, kind of, you know, going through that lull period during the day. And then all of a sudden in the afternoon, you hit him with a call and he turns himself inside out to get to you. And just, just he goes through those little modes all day long. And yeah. if you're not there, you don't catch it. It's a, it's one of those deals. And weather, changing weather conditions, look, if people bass fish or deer hunt, they'll know their changing weather conditions affect everything. Mm-hmm. And when you have a barometric pressure that is constantly going up and down and up and down, it really jacks with the turkeys and shuts them up bad. They just don't do much. But uh, and other yeah. times, they, uh, you know, consistent weather. So I just think that, uh, you know, don't give up on turkey because he, he seems a little bit cold to you. You know, a lot of times it's the only game in town. Sit in there and see what happens. You know what's funny? Oftentimes, you won't kill that turkey today, but tomorrow you'll go right back in there, and that turkey's a totally different bird. And he yeah. absolutely runs to you and gives it up for the gipper about as fast as he can do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you got to love it when that happens. So there's a lot of catch-22s to turkey hunting. And the biggest thing is people giving up too quick and and uh, not staying in there and persevering and uh, assuming that they're doing everything wrong when really and truly you're at the mercy of the turkey. You know, you really are. That is so true. So true. I don't care how good a hunter you are, how many years you've done it, how good a caller you are, you're going to face times when you don't have an answer. It's instead in, in, in everything that you do. And I'll revert this back to the Masters Championship if there's any golfers listening. You watched that last week, and, and when we got on the back nine, Jordan Spieth was probably going to win that thing. Yeah. And one hole, he made a mistake, and he couldn't reroute himself because mentally he just got kind of out of his game. Mm-hmm. And uh, that happens with hunters as well. They go for a couple of days, and things aren't working, weather conditions aren't right, and it's every excuse in the book, you know. And, and we've all done it. I've done it. I still do it every now and again. Got to blame somebody, right? But That's really, true. truly, we're at the mercy of that turkey. Yeah. You know, and the worst thing you can do is run him out of the country. The best thing you can do is, is leave him alone until he's ready to give it up. That's right. And <clears throat> that is one of the main reasons that we go is because <clears throat> it is unpredictable. That's part of what makes us so much fun. Yep. You know, if I if I knew the days I was going to kill a bird, I'm not sure I would hunt the other days. Why would I? I mean, yeah, I enjoy being in the woods in the springtime, but... There's work and there's family and there's every other reason not to go in the woods. So if you knew that you were going to kill a bird on April the 18th and that was going to be the only bird you were going to kill, you wouldn't go all the other days. That's right. And you know what? You wouldn't learn anything either. Yeah, you're right. And that's the key. We're learning. And, and, And I don't care. This is my 40th year of turkey hunting. I've hunted 33 states. And every year I learn something new about a particular situation or a particular cycle, a particular demeanor that they get into because of a weather condition or a pattern or a, or, or the whole month pattern, you know, the whole season pattern, you learn something and you learn that, that they may be in a particular cycle right here behind my house, but 25 miles away, they're going through a whole different thing. Right. And and they're not the same they're not the same bird there that they are here. And because a lot of it's turkey population, a lot of it is there's just a lot of different you know scenarios. Let's just face it, they may get three inches of rain every other day, 25 miles away, and we don't get that weather pattern. So our turkeys mm-hmm. are a little bit ahead of the cycle. You know, just a lot of different things happen that way, and you've got to take that in consideration. Yeah, that's all good information to share, and I hope that people will keep that in mind while they're out in the woods and they don't they don't always do what we want them to do when we want them to do that and there's there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of variables that go into why they're doing what they're doing and I think that Chris I think you really hit the nail on the head there and you know it's nice when you go to your lease or the family farm or wherever and the birds are tearing it up and then you know the next day you go to your other piece of property that you own or can hunt and nothing is going on there and it's frustrating and Mm -hmm. so you know it's just what you said there's there's just so many things that go into that you got the predator situation you know you've got the what the hens are doing if there's a, a higher population of turkeys on one piece of property over another and Heck, I mean, the birds have the word wild in their name. That's a fact. That ought to tell us everything we need to know about it, and that is that we know nothing about them. So That's a we, fact. We, we can try to do what we can do and pattern them and, and that type of thing, but they they still are very wild animals. They well, are definitely wild, and they're definitely going to do what they want to do when they want to do it and how they want to do it, and our job is to just hang in there long enough to get a little bit of something figured out and and be as successful as you can That's right. for the That's right. amount of days that you have to hunt. And you know what? It it doesn't uh, mean you're a lesser or a better if uh, at some point in time you, you go without killing a turkey every now and again. It's just, just one of those things. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we talked a few minutes ago about getting close to the birds, you know, getting out of our comfort zone and getting as close and as tight in as on those turkeys as we can. And I told you that that really made the difference in the number of turkeys that I was killing in a season. But my question for you is this. Can you give the listeners one or two calling tips that have really made a difference for you and and your ability to be able to get turkeys to gobble and... You know, we we don't calling's not everything to get a turkey to come in to you. You know that, but sure. we want to hear them gobble. We need them to gobble to know where they are to even stand a chance to hunt most of them. What are one or two things that we might be able to do with our calling that that will 
bring more gobbles out of turkeys? Well, when it comes to striking a bird, you know, first and foremost, I'm going to try to use a locator call first, simply because I, I really don't want him to know as another turkey where I'm at at that point. Because I may want to move on that bird. I may want to, you know, sometimes I even back up. You know, instead of going yeah. forward, I back up. All depends on the terrain. Yeah. But the most important thing I can tell anyone is when you're doing your locator calls, try to do them as realistic as you can as well. You know, crows have certain patterns that they, they communicate and, and, and volumes that they communicate and ways that they put the call together. Go to YouTube, listen to some of these crows, and get good with your crow call. Get good with your owl hooter. Learn how to use those equal to or better than your, your, your calls. And mm-hmm. then get good with your calls. And I don't mean being a world champion by no means that's not what i mean getting good is being comfortable and knowing that you're putting together a scenario or or the call the way a turkey would do it so listen to those turkeys and how they do it and and do it like they do it when i'm locating with with cutting you know i might do like three or four notes just something loud something sharp i'm trying to make the turkey gobble but i'm also doing it where a, a turkey does that they'll all of a sudden hit a call like that and it'll, it'll be a three second deal and it's done and over with and, and it's natural and then it may be a situation where i've got those turkeys on the roost and i'm really really close and i don't want to do much because you know they're going to look right down there and see me i'm close to them but yeah. i might be afraid that turkey pitches off and sails the other direction a little bit so if i'm worried about that maybe i want to give him just that little couple of clucks it's kind of just enough to let him know whoa that was a turkey right there he turns on the limb and then he's not real sure where it's at but he pitches down in that direction thinking that there was a turkey there Mm -hmm. and you know just those little things like that and then crow calling again i'm just trying to make a turkey gobble i want to sound like a crow i don't want to be down there going i'm not trying to call a crow trying to make a turkey (laughs) gobble but i want to sound like a crow so i want to hit those I want to get those three or four sharp notes, but do it in the same sequence that a crow will do it. Same way with an owl. You know, I'm not trying to make call in owls, but I want to be real about it. So my first note when I owl hoot may be just a long hoot, just a whoo. I'm just wanting to get that turkey to gobble. Then the next one, I want to do it real. I don't want to make it to where it's fake. Because not that I'm saying turkeys, they know the difference. But let's face it, when you're hunting high-pressure birds, especially public land birds, they hear every sound for three to four or five weeks every day coming out of every other hunter's mouth and they run into these people doing it and you can't tell me that some of that does not get retained yeah you know i I mean i know they got a brain as big as a pea but how do they make it to be six and a half years old i mean some of that is, is retained a little bit and they and they associate that with not a good experience, let's say that. Let's give them that much credit. They associate right. that sound with not a good experience. So be as real as you can. So the next time I out hoot, I'll do a, I'll do a, a full note hoot, a full eight note hoot, but I'll do it realistically, you know. I want to do it as real as I possibly can. I'm doing it with my voice and not a hooter, and it's not, not as good as with a hooter, but you do it as real as you can, and I think those locating tactics will make you more successful. I think a lot of times people don't make turkeys gobble because they're just not doing it in a demeanor that causes a turkey to think it's real or is in a volume that makes a turkey a shock gobble back to them. So too loud and too soft are things we need to be aware of, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Especially in given conditions. You know, and, 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 and you know, we can sit here, Andy, and talk about this for months. And a lot of this has to be experienced. You know, you can take a little bit of this and, and, and listen to it and kind of remember it. But, boy, when you when you listen to it in the wild and you experience it in the wild and you go, ah, oh, that's what was being talked about. My grandfather gave me a really good bit of advice years and years ago. He was a great trapper, probably one of the best trappers in mid-Missouri at the time. In fact, you know, he grew up during the Depression, so he made money trapping during the Depression. That's because they didn't have any jobs. Great muskrat trapper, great, great beaver trapper, great coyote trapper for the time. We didn't have a lot of coyotes back then. And this is coming off of history that I've learned about. I I wasn't born back then, obviously. I'm not that old yet. (laughs) Anyway, he, he kept a log book of everything he trapped every year, every day, the weather conditions, everything that went on. And it made him a better trapper every year. He almost could foresee the future of what was going on during that year, how everything was starting to take place. And I don't scout as often as I used to in a lot of ways because history repeats itself with wet, with weather and, you know, how things go now. We have kill off of turkeys and we don't have as many turkeys and that kind of changes how you have to do it because you don't have as many to deal with. So you need to find that three or four birds that you have, same way with deer. But I keep a logbook.
book. I write down every turkey, every deer that I kill, the weather conditions, what the moon phase was on deer, right? What the you know if it's spring turkey season, what the what the cycle was, what I was seeing with the turkeys, and you can it's unbelievable how you can go back in a three year period and go, ah, we're going to have about the same similar season in 2000. Say say we're we're 2016 this year. I can look back at 2007 or eight and go, ah, we're going to have a season that's real similar to 2007 or eight the way it's progressing. This yeah. is what was going on. And if a, yeah. and if hunters would do that, especially young hunters that are just coming up, one man, what a memory of stuff you have to look back on and leave your leave your kids, kind of leave your legacy of hunting to your to your family. And two, yeah. it'll you'll look at it and it'll take a lot of that really extra thought and legwork out of your hunting because you've got kind of this cycle of things that you're looking through that kind of give you an idea where you need to start before you ever set foot in the woods. And so a lot of your groundwork is laid before you ever put your foot in the woods. You know, it's kind right. of like the scout look with the weather kind of thing, you know. Wind's blowing this way. I got these four stands I can hunt. That's kind of the way I look at it, and it's been a great help for me. I do it during elk hunting. I can tell you that I can look when the full moon's going to hit prior to me leaving to go out west and elk hunt, and I can tell you whether or not I'm going to hit that absolutely spot on and those, those elk are going to be in full cycle and rocking and rolling, or whether I'm going to be a little early or whether I'm going to be a little late. And, mm-hmm. and, and, the, and you can adjust your tactics on how you hunt by then and where you need to go to find those elk during those situations. You know, if it's full-blown cycle rut, you can stand in the middle of the highway. You just never know what's going to happen. If they're in this situation, you go do that. Same way with turkey, same way with deer. Right. And people yeah. keep those. They just It's a lot of fun, too, to look back on. It's something to do in the off-season that, you know, can just a little bit of enjoyment. And it's a great way, too. Like, for me, I utilize that doing seminars, you know, and, and it's it's great a great method to teach people just to keep track of things. Yeah, and it absolutely will make you a better hunter. You know, so that is a great reason for doing it. And, yeah, I've started, well, for two or three years, I did keep a journal. How many turkeys did I see? How many turkeys did I kill? What the weather conditions were, just like what you said. And then I stopped, and now I've started back. And, you know, you can just, you can use your phone and, and do voice notes on your phone. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it, it, you can do that and listen to it on your Bluetooth while you're riding down the road. Listen to last season before this season starts while you're traveling to and from work and say, okay, well, you know, this is what worked last year. You know, this is the number of birds that I killed, and, and sure. they were this far along in the season. And just what Chris said, you'll you'll have a record and be able to know two years from now when we have an early spring. You'll be able to look back at this year and go, okay, well, this is what worked for me in 2016. This year is similar, and I should be doing X. Mm-hmm. So, and it may not be spot on, but it'll be really close. It'll be close, you know, absolutely. And I've seen yeah. that, you know, for example, the rut cycle. I've seen that be literally within a couple of days of exactly the same kind of now weather trumps everything you know you may have the same kind of cycle but if you got torrential downpours and you know lightning thunder raining all the time right kind of keeps things from happening so we got to put it in perspective but other than that you know it, it is pretty dead gum pretty dead gum close history repeats itself it does in everything and it, it's no different yep. than when it comes to hunting yeah you're right yeah last year i got thrown for a curveball when we hit two straight weeks with rain every day in those two weeks and i can't i can't recall a, a year when we had that for two solid weeks during turkey season but yep. you know it's one of those things now i've got record of it <laughs> well the thing is is, is you know you it, it lengthens the cycle time out it does you know and that's uh that's something you got to keep track of a lot of times a guy gets a little bit uh, depressed on it and just if you've got some time just realize that it's going to lengthen the cycle time out and your hunting tactics going to be no different at the end of the season than it would be at the first of the season simply because of that you're going to be dealing with hinned up turkeys all the time <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know yeah it's going to happen when those, when those hens should be sitting on a nest they're having to re-nest sometimes. that's exactly so, right and so yeah. they're rebreeding and i've seen it go all the way up to the first of july yeah no doubt about it well, tell me what's new at Night and Hell. You know, I bumped into you at the, uh, it wasn't SHOT Show. It ATA was show. Uh, the ATA. That's mm-hmm. right. Bumped into you at the ATA show and then, <laughs> of course, saw you at the NWTF show as well. And we talked a little bit about what's new at Night and Hell, but let's run through that because some people don't listen to those episodes just because they're about the shows and they're not about hunting. But tell us what's new at Night and Hell. Well, we've got we've got a really big lineup coming out next year, but I can't get into that too deep right now. But for this year, yeah. our new lineup is we've got a switchblade box call. 
which is a patented box call that allows you to switch out three different blades for three different sounds, totally different sounds. I think you and I went through that and saw that. And, and also has yeah. a, a waterproof uh, lid with one of them and a waterproof side. So it's a really cool call that allows you basically to have one box call that you've got a bunch of different sounds. And when you're carrying it in the woods, you can have all your lids detached and there's no noise. And this is going to probably transfer yeah. into our whole box call line sooner or later, I'm sure. We've got the new dual threat, which is a flip over call, slate on one side, glass on the other. It's coupled with our new patented Echotech Striker. Now, the unique thing about the dual threat is the pot was designed specifically for these two surfaces. So it's not just a pot call that's had the bottom cut out of it. And the Echotech is patented. It has actually a pendulum inside of it that when you run the striker, it actually vibrates back and forth. And in a nutshell, in a real simple term, what it does is it keeps your striker on the surface of your call longer per note, giving you a richer, fuller note and making all your calls, no matter what you play it on, you more user-friendly. <clears throat> and yeah. um, that's pretty much our whole, you know, we've got a brand new tube call we came out with. Night and Hale's call company was founded on the tube call, and we redesigned the tube call. And it's been a, it's been a bit of a whiz-banger for me this year. That thing is phenomenal call. And um, uh, we've changed up some of our locator calls. We've uh, redesigned, not redesigned the molds, but we've improved the molds. We've changed the material to make them louder and, and a little more user-friendly. Just, you know, livening up a lot of the uh, old faces and making them fresh and new again, too. So, And, again, we got a lot of uh, – we've got the old Yeller Classic. Everybody loved the old Yeller, so we've come yeah. out with it in a wood pot. We've got the old Yeller Classic out now. Uh, we finally originated that surface again. And a lot of things coming out next year that I think is going to set the market by storm. So looking awesome. forward to an exciting future here at Night and Hail. I think we're, we're really jumping, the, jumping it up in game. Yeah, well, I know you guys over there have been on the top of the game for years and years, and I think with what y'all have rolled out this year, the Switchblade is something really cool, and it's got a great sound to it. It is. Yep. Even even when Chris is not running it, <laughs> even when I run it, it sounds good. So that, that ought to tell everybody listening something. But it's so cool to do just what Chris said. Take that thing apart, and you don't have the squeaking and the squawking and the squealing and the purring and all that going on with your box call while you're walking through the woods and that that really does make a big difference in being able to slip in and get up close and personal with a with a bird or just being able to walk through the woods without having the thing drive you absolutely crazy yep exactly so, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that's probably just as and you're important. not going to looking at your buddy going man can you quiet that thing now yeah, yeah. Hey, can I see your box call, and then you take it and pitch it off the cliff? Yeah, exactly. On or step on it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to have to buy him a new one. But if you do buy him a new one, then get the switch. That's plate. right. It'll shut him up for a while. <laughs> But the the striker with the pendulum in it is is so cool. I mean that to run that call and you can feel that pendulum at the top of that striker moving inside of it. Yeah. It, it it is so cool and it really does sound good. So well, it improves all calls. You know, it's not just made for the calls we build. It it really does. Right. When you test it on every call that you have, you'll see that there is a difference. It really does make them more user friendly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good deal. Well, Chris, man, I've kept you longer than I'd planned on, and, man, we got talking turkey, and I, I let time tick on, but I'm very appreciative. I, I thank you so much. You just You're very don't welcome. know how much I appreciate the information and you sharing your knowledge with us. It always makes me a better hunter, and I know people listening are, are getting a lot of great information from it as well. And you guys that are looking for calls, don't forget Night and Hell and, and the information that you got from Chris and every every call that, that you guys buy helps the company out, helps Chris out and makes it worth his time to come on the show. So Well I appreciate I, it, Andy, and, and keep keep up with me periodically throughout the year. We've got a lot of time hunting, so you know, there's gonna be yeah. gonna be another month of this. So hopefully a lot yep. more birds flop around on the ground, you know. <clears throat> Good Lord willing, you're right. Yep, yep. For sure. Well fantastic. Well thank you again so much. I appreciate it, and always great having you on the show and good talking to you as well. 
Sounds good, Andy. I appreciate it. You have a great day. All right. You do the same. Good luck to you the rest of the season. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye now. Goodbye. Okay. I hope that you guys enjoyed that and got some good notes to put into your turkey hunting journal. You do keep one, don't you? All right. One quick note for you guys who have inquired about my new podcast, Spurred. I am still searching for the best method of distributing that content to you. I thought I had something nailed down a couple of weeks ago, but it is just too costly to get that content to you using that system. My goal is to keep this content affordable for you guys. So I'm still searching for the best distribution method possible. And I hope to have an update for you on that very soon. Now, some big news. About three or four months ago, I applied with Google to have the Turkey Hunter podcast listed in Google Play Music. Well, the big news is now you can stream the Turkey Hunter podcast on Google Play Music. We are on there now. So you don't necessarily have to have Player FM or Stitcher Radio anymore. Most of your Android phones come with Google Play Music already installed, and now the Turkey Hunter podcast can be found there for your listening pleasure. All right, so because it's turkey season and because the interview with Chris was so long, I'm cutting you guys loose for the week. But please remember the four things that I ask of you at the end of each episode. Number one, please like, forward, and share the post with this episode on social media. That is a great way to spread the Turkey Hunter podcast love. Number two, please subscribe to the show on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Player FM. When you subscribe, you'll be notified as soon as a new episode is available for download and subscribing does not cost a dime. Number three, please tell a hunting buddy about the show. And number four, be sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Hunting Afternoon Birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.